Welcome to Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Carolyn Desrosiers. Today we are talking about child care. If you don't have young children in your life, you may be thinking this topic doesn't apply to you, but it does. At the national level, according to a study from Ready Nation, the child care crisis is costing our country $122 billion a year because of lost earnings, productivity, and taxes. For our state, in 2018, 50% of Wisconsinites and 70% of Wisconsinites in rural areas lived in a child care desert, which means an area where child care is not available or the number of children exceeds the number of slots. And those are 2018 numbers. It's only gotten worse. Yeah, imagine what the workforce would look like if the child care ecosystem were to collapse and what that would do to your employment, even if you don't use child care. Nearly 9 in 10 working parents say child care costs them time and productivity at work, which may mean more work for others or jobs that just don't get done. And there's more. There are long waiting lists for open child care spots, and then there's the cost. Many parents say they are paying more than their monthly mortgage or rent to have their children cared for while they work. And Amy, that's the truth for me personally. Uh, for full-time care for my two-year-old son, it costs more than my mortgage, which um, you can imagine is a burden as a young family. Uh, and it's hard because I also know that my child care teachers don't get paid very well. They're not babysitters. They are trained professionals. But their poverty-level wages and the minimal benefits contribute to high staff turnover in many centers. And this is what's affecting the availability and quality of care. And it's really the reason why many centers, unfortunately, are closing their doors. Yeah, industry experts and child care providers say finding a solution to all of this will require the efforts of government, employers, and families working together. And like most complex issues facing us, there is no single solution that will address the shortage of care, the center's high operating costs, workers' very low wages, and the exorbitant prices families pay for care. So how do we as a community invest in solutions? We're excited to tell you that a local task force is in talk right now, specifically working on the provider compensation piece of this puzzle. You may or may not have heard of the local group called the Greater Fox Cities Child Care Alliance. This group of community partners is finding solutions for families and providers, and they recently convened to discuss a strategy to support and advocate for viable child care operations and workforce wages. We recently spoke with the Alliance's Suzanne Brault about this exciting work. Let's listen in on that conversation. Well, thank you for joining us, Suzanne. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Why don't you introduce yourself uh, and talk a little bit about your role in the, the child care discussions happening in the Fox Valley? Certainly. I'm Suzanne Brault, and I'm currently serving as a consultant in the region, and I'm currently working with two um, two entities right now. I'm supporting the Greater Fox Valley Child Care Alliance, and then also working with Outagamie County to support the uh, elected officials and staff in terms of potential opportunities to invest American Recovery Plan Act dollars. And we're coming kind of to the end of that. They've actually are are poised or having have have offered to grant opportunities right now. So delighted to see that coming to fruition. Great. Well, we're so glad that you're joining us because you have kind of a bird's eye view of the issue of childcare. And it seems like this is a really complex issue. There's a lot going on with access and affordability. 
And, you know, we hear from listeners who are seeing um, lack of available spaces for their children, high cost of care, the wait lists are long, but that kind of just scratches the surface. Can you share just the overall state of childcare in the Fox Valley? Um, be happy to. And as you, you've already identified, it's, it is extremely um, complex. Um, I think really what's happening in the Fox Valley just mirrors what's happening in the state and around our country. Uh, we know that access to affordable quality childcare is challenging for anyone in this space and really, um, the center that we're at at the moment is ac acknowledging that wages and the needs of the workforce have not been, what's the word I'm looking for? Not been tended to um, forever. And so we have what has really, I think, been termed a, a market failure, um, which is really the, f really that the cost of childcare is more expensive than what people can afford to pay. And the system as we have it right now is based on families' ability to pay. And certainly families cannot, they can't afford what they're paying now, which in many cases is more than a mortgage or the a year's education at a University of Wisconsin school for infant care. So it is, um, it's expensive because quality care and taking care of our children, um, matters and that cost of care is is higher than the market rate is able to um, afford right now. Well, and then you talk about um, uh, single parents, um, parent like a mom, single mom trying to go to work and afford childcare for even two children or three children would be very cost prohibitive, wouldn't it? Extremely challenging. And uh, we recognize um, how important it is for single parents to be able to access that quality care um, and actually, that's that's really part of how the alliance began. The Greater Fox Valley Child Care Alliance um, started out of one of the Basic Needs Giving Partnerships uh, point initiatives, which um, was, forgive me, I'm going to make sure I say this correctly, female head of household, which was recognizing those challenges for single parents and how, um, how critically... Um, important it was to be able to have access to that. And really, when we look at the metrics around poverty, single women, single men, but are also struggling in terms of how to afford needs. But but single women, the numbers are double the um, the needs. Um, and I and I know that there's, you'll, you'll be familiar with the Alice report, and that has just been reissued. And I know that there's some um, additional data that has been gathered and taking a look at that, but certainly recognizing how challenging it can be as a single parent to make ends meet, not only find that quality care. And if you can't find the quality care that you need for your children, how are you going to be able to work? Yeah, I can share as a parent with a child in daycare, it is more than my mortgage. And when I had two kids in daycare, it was, um, it really wasn't possible for us to afford it. Uh, this was after my son was born. He's two now, but I had my daughter in half time care and he was in full time care. And I think the only way it worked was at that time during COVID, we had the extra, extra child stimulus payments, um, that saved us so that we could continue working. And now even still with just one child in full time childcare, it, it is more than our mortgage. And we're lucky that we have a spot. <laughs> like I don't want to complain because, you know, that's, yeah, there's just also not enough spots available for children. And it's very challenging for me as a parent to know that it's, it's hurting my pocketbook. It's very difficult to manage uh, how costly it is. But then I also know that my childcare teachers make less than you could make working at Target. And I just don't feel right about that. 
they love my children. They take care of them. Like I have so much respect for them and it just kind of boggles my mind. And many times there's no benefits, like the circumstances that they work under seem very unfair. So yeah, I try not to complain too much about the high cost because I wouldn't necessarily want to be in their shoes. And, and you've, you know, you've identified a key element that I think is very hard for the community, for all of us to accept, right? Parents are paying so much for childcare. What do you mean you can't pay the workforce more, right? And so part of what is such, such a challenge and really work that the alliance and that the community are trying to do is raise that awareness in terms of those true costs of child care. I know I've, I've learned in many ways it's a numbers game, right? You need to have 140 children in a center in order to make the numbers work. And that's with a mix of infant slots, then toddler, and then, you know, the breakdown and, and perhaps that 4K inclusion. And really what much of that is coming down to is the fact that you need the appropriate number of staff to actually take care of infants and toddlers. And there can be times when people will suggest, well, perhaps you raise instead of one staff person per four infants, how about five infants? And I'm not sure the last time it was when you took care of an infant, but, you know, when you suggest, um, I know it's recent for you, Carolyn, but if you suggest, you know, one person caring for five infants, we're not going to have any providers, quite honestly. So, so looking at those, at those, you know, numbers of children that are needed in order to make this scenario work, we recognize that smaller providers just are really, really stuck so that you have those set costs of maybe perhaps rental or a mortgage and then utilities and food costs that we know are continuing to go up. And the only place that there's any flexibility or any room to make those budgetary cuts that you might need, that, that falls on the numbers of staff, right? And so your workforce has paid those low wages. And we know certainly that COVID exasperated all of this, but these conditions existed long before COVID exposed. And then I believe really we all know that the challenge is certainly the opportunity to make more money and have the benefits of um, health insurance and sick days and the other benefits that come along with it are certainly part of the reason that providers might be leaving or care providers might be leaving. It's also very, very hard work. You know, it's, it's critically important. We have very, very well qualified and highly educated people in this industry. And yet the wages have never been commensurate with what that value is to us. Yeah. Suzanne, let's talk about the advocacy piece now, because uh, there there seems to be a need for advocacy around child care, and that's what your organization is doing. For somebody who's never heard about the Greater Fox Valley Child Care Alliance, can you share about the work that you're doing, and, and what exactly is this alliance? Um, happy to. We are the Greater Fox Valley Child Care Alliance is a network of partners uh, across Northeast Wisconsin, roughly Brown County down to Oshkosh area, but the counties that are contiguous around there. Mm-hmm. And we're working to make it easier for children ages birth to five and their families to get the high quality, affordable early care and education and family supports and opportunities that they need to thrive. In this industry, we have First Five Fox Valley, CCRNR. Up in Brown County, we have Encompass Child Care and Family and Child Care Resources of Northeast Wisconsin, as well as the United Ways partnering with us and the Women's Fund. And we all knew bits and pieces of the puzzle, but that was one of the first places we needed to dig in and work to understand the complexity of the issues. And certainly, you know, when, when we started learning more about it, 
it just became so apparent that until you address um, when we speak to the need for advocacy, till we build that awareness or understand that we really, we need a narrative shift that recognizes how, number one, how important childcare is for children's development and families who are, who are working and need to have access to that good quality care that they need and to be able to afford it, right? But we also recognize that families, when they're going to be working, and we know that in Wisconsin, we have a higher rate than I believe statewide. I think we're, excuse me, nationally, we have 73% of families with a, an infant who are already in the workforce. So we recognize that for families to be able to thrive, they need to have that access to the to the care that they need. So within our alliance, working to understand that system and then developing our system goals and coming to really a focus in terms of where we wanted to to work. We, we identified five goals. We want to support supply of, of trusted, quality, responsive early care and education slots for the community, uh, supply of skilled, culturally responsive early care educators for the workforce that, to be in place, viable ECE businesses providing competitive wages and benefits, which is currently our, our primary focus. And then what is necessary in all of these spaces is that shared understanding and public will to transform this complex ECE system. We really have to understand the needs of providers, and we need to understand the needs of families and children. Um, there's no one-size-fits-all, and there's no silver bullet to fix this. It is going to be uh, really a collection of strategies, trying different, hopefully different models. And really, I think that openness to recognize that we need to bring different sectors together to work in this space. It isn't up to families to fix. It's not up to the business community to fix. It's not up to government to fix. And it's certainly not up to the providers to fix. And providers have really been faced with the ultimate you know, why aren't you fixing it without the broader community and or understanding of the public about how costly it is and how challenged this workforce has been to deliver that quality care. So as we come together, that's, that's our focus. And we don't have a secret handshake. We kind of joke, <laughs> we kind of joke that we really are learning from each other and working very hard to align and coordinate what is happening in the region or build that understanding, share different practices that we're learning from in different communities, certainly elevate what has been our traditional models, really work to support that, but then also look for these new ideas and new strategies to try to pull it together. So we know that the Child Care Alliance um, hosted some learning events uh, just recently to help move these initiatives forward that you just mentioned. What did you hear and, and what did you learn from those events? We were very pleased to have a very diverse group of people that came together. We held um, two of what we called our wage design, co-design and launch events. We held the first one in in Appleton in the Fox Cities at the Building for Kids. And then we held a second one up at in Green Bay um, at the Botanical uh, Gardens. And we were very pleased to have people acknowledging and sharing how critical this need was at this point and coming together looking for what our potential options are. How do we pull together and take a look at these different strategies uh, that have been suggested? So within the alliance, we have been working to co-design and launch potential solutions out of those discussions, we recognize the need to support statewide efforts. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention raising Wisconsin as the primary Wisconsin effort really to be working with state and federal lawmakers to 
share the importance of early care and education with our legislators. And really the primary ask of Raising Wisconsin at this point and key focus is to continue support for providers and the centers themselves are providers within that child care counts. There's a $300 million proposed budget ask to continue some of those supports that have been so critical to keeping providers working in this field and that those are those federal dollars are due to expire in January of 2024. Suzanne, for, for folks that might not be familiar, um, what did that look like, those payments, and, and what did that really um, mean for some of these providers? There were two payment programs, payment A and payment B, and one was direct supports for the staff. And it, it varied, of course, based on the number of children, the number of hours, but roughly I want to say that it was presented as a bonus of about $400 a month per worker. Then in addition, there were, was a program that went to help support the centers themselves, right? And so that they could use some of those dollars for their internal needs, uh, recognizing that because of these challenges with the workforce, and I'm sure you're hearing this anecdotally, we have capacity right now that we are not able to, uh, providers are not able to offer because they are not able to get the staff needed in order to keep those classrooms open. When we look to support the child care providers or support that network, for example, employers in, in some cases are working to support their employees by providing a stipend or helping them with, let's say, um, FSA, right? Mm-hmm. The flexible spending account. Yes. Thank you. Um, and certainly those are, can be very, very helpful for a family. But if the providers aren't there, which is what's happening right now, we need to shift the conversation and, and develop an understanding of the needs of the workforce in order to be able to address this. And certainly those childcare care counts dollars, those were directly focused at the needs of the workforce. I think um, I attended the event that took place at the building for kids. And I recall one person saying that they were hearing from other providers that, you know, if child care counts goes away or doesn't get extended, that they would just close their center because it would be so difficult to continue without it. So it seems really critical to have some sort of support as a bridge coming out of those um, sort of stimulus uh, programs. Well, those costs will either be, right, those will be forwarded to parents with an ask to try to, you know, see if they can't maintain that level of um, wage for the workforce, or else it will come at the cost of the workforce, right? So, you know, it is anticipated, there is, you know, research and outreach being done that there will be, we will see continued decline in the availability of care, dependent on what, what decisions are made at that state level. We're going to hear more from Suzanne about the good news, the exciting work being done to alleviate that decline. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Kurt Dachin, President and CEO of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. Our community of caring donors, nonprofits, and volunteers work together to make this a place where all can flourish. Your Community Foundation is a reflection of this spirit. In 2022, more than $40 million in grants were given to nonprofits to drive their missions. I offer my sincere thanks to each of you for your strong support of our community and our unique mission to make it better. Learn more at cffoxvalley.org. A region with a vibrant arts community is a great place to live, work, and play. My name is Joanne Mariahazi, and I'm an Appleton artist. Many generous individuals have set up funds at the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region to support arts organizations, including photography, music, art shows, 
programs for kids and seniors, and more. You can set up a fund and support the arts or whatever cause you're passionate about. Learn more at cffoxvalley.org. So I actually did lose my job. Sorry, I'm emotional. That's okay. So yeah. Could you keep up what you were doing, taking care of your kids and working? It was hard. Like, I put my family first and set my job. Here in Outagamie County, population close to 200,000, more than 1,200 children are on a wait list for childcare. Last November, when this daycare shut down, full-time working moms Virginia Moss and Tiffany Simon took action. Hi. They bought the building, and within two months, the physical therapist and data consultant opened Joyful Beginnings Academy, hiring management, 20 daycare workers, and enrolling 75 kids. Can you do that? It's a small fix in a desperate area. Their daycare already has... Welcome back. That audio is from a recent CBS Evening News report, which we'll link up in our show notes. The news crew traveled to Dale, Wisconsin, a Fox Cities community just west of Appleton, where two working moms found themselves without childcare and they decided to do something about it. Yeah, that's what was so newsworthy about it. The moms decided to take ownership of that building and have just reopened the doors. The spots were filled up immediately, and yes, there is a wait list. Their names are Virginia and Tiffany, and their center is called Joyful Beginnings Academy. Here's a little bit of that visit. My name is Tiffany Simon, um, and I have three daughters and a husband, and we live in Hortonville, Wisconsin, and I'm a physical therapist. And I'm Virginia Moss. I also live in Hortonville, and I have almost three daughters due in July, (laughs) and I work for a consulting firm in Nina, Wisconsin. Previously, I had been in an in-home daycare or a family daycare center, and she had given me a year notice in order to find new care, and unfortunately, I couldn't find anywhere. And so I was feeling a little helpless on what I was going to do. And when Tiffany's daycare unexpectedly closed, it wasn't just us that was feeling helpless. It was all of our neighbors. Um, And there was about 75 children that needed care all of a sudden. And so Tiffany texted me and said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, someone has to do something. And by five days later, that someone was us. So our solution was kind of a a rush decision to buy a building and open a daycare center. And at that time, we had about 40 students, our children. Yeah. And right now, almost six months later, we're at 88, and we still have room to grow. There are challenges just to make sure that you're doing everything up to standards, Um, but we've had an immense amount of support from the community, from families, and from like DCF and yeah, the department of children and families was very supportive of getting this back open. They know that it's a need and they were really helpful along with the child care resource center in Fox Valley, um, getting through pre-licensing and licensing as people that have never owned a child care center before was amazing. We got through it in a short amount of time, um, but it wasn't easy. <laughs> so we are paying staff above the state average, and we we just feel like we're treating the staff a little bit differently. As working mothers, we feel like the need for flexibility and schedule, um, accommodations for sick children are all things that are a priority here, and we want staff to feel that on a daily basis. Yeah, when, when we go through our interview process, we want to make sure that 
not only are they a good fit for us, but we have to be a good fit for them. And so we emphasize that they need to meet their family's needs first before they can meet ours. And they'll show up as a better teacher if they have the opportunity to do that. So we want to provide benefits, flexibility. Um, we're looking into, we're hopefully going to be the first child care center that we know that offers any parental leave um, and just items like that, that maybe in other industries are taken for granted and they aren't available to teachers. You know, as parents and owners, our standards are very high for the food that we're feeding our children, the staff that we're putting in the rooms, the cleanliness of the facility and the products that we're using around our children are all top priorities. Yeah. And our children, like you said, go here because we still work. And so I'm not going to put anyone else's children in a situation that I wouldn't put my own in. I cannot work if I don't trust where my kids are. I will not be able to do my job. So... At the Community Foundation, we can keep your gift and your fund anonymous so you can continue to support causes that matter to you and keep our community flourishing well into the future. The Greater Fox City's Habitat for Humanity Rock the Block recently received a $300,000 anonymous grant from a fund within our Chilton affiliate, making a huge difference for the community and local homeowners. You too can join this effort of quiet generosity that helps our community thrive by setting up a fund that doesn't reveal your identity and allows us to assist you with your charitable wishes. Contact the Community Foundation at cffoxvalley.org. What's being done in the Fox Valley right now to alleviate the dryness of the child care desert? Well, here's part two of our interview with Suzanne Brault. It is exciting to see that this work is being done, this advocacy work, and that it really is all hands on deck. You're involving a lot of different entities, and we're going to list some of them uh, in our show notes today. What are some of the other possible solutions that are on the table right now? Part of what is exciting is that we have communities across the state this conversation is happening everywhere, right? Um, if there are examples of communities that have been actively engaged in this conversation, um, quite a few of them actually before COVID hit really had developed childcare task forces and really taking a look at what the dynamics were. I'm assuming that you've heard about childcare deserts mm-hmm. and certainly the dynamics in, in the rural parts of the county versus in the urban parts of the county. You know, we, you have different issues that are there. So again, how do you look for solutions that might meet the needs within these different communities? So, you know, we developed five different potential strategy ideas in the region. Um, one was to organize diverse regional partners to advocate for policy change at multiple levels, as we were just speaking here, um, and then support employers to invest in sustainable child care infrastructure. This is going to be a really critical, important piece here. And so how to engage the business community, bring them to the table to work together is really going to be essential. Third is this create community-driven funding mechanisms to increase the ECE workforce compensation. So community partners, including businesses and, and philanthropic entities, is there a way that we can collaborate to invest in a community-driven fund? Perhaps it could be used to supplement regional child care workforce wages. Uh, it could take the place of an endowment. You know, might we be looking at, say, something like a capital campaign to try to raise dollars? Is there a way to leverage funds that are in different sectors? For example, is there a way to braid funds that might be available, whether they're economic development funds or are these, are there funds that are in the K-12 bandwidth? But to try to see if we can't 
use available funding, look for match opportunities that we might be able to have corporations or entities, you know, come together. But these are all part of what we need to explore. And then we're also looking at other services that are available. Um, there's a lot happening or a lot of change that's happening in, in the existing framework, I would say, in early care and education. Um, we have a, uh, an excellent child care resource and referral, which is a part of the Supporting Families Together Association in our region. Um, WICA has a shared services platform, and WESEN is the Wisconsin Early Education Shared Services Network, which is a platform of services that can really help providers with those back-end costs. And then the other new entity that's coming in play is um, the new contractor for the Young Star Quality Program, QRIS program, and that is called SHINE. So looking for, again, those spaces where we can coordinate and align, understand different lanes of services that are available to providers and families. And then the fifth strategy that we are taking a look at is really to increase the early care and education workforce's access to health care and benefit pools. Currently, I know Marketplace is the available platform right now for individual policies. Um, even when we're speaking of child care and early care, you know, people will talk about, we'll also know it could be in the form of family, friend, and neighbor care. It could be with a center. It could be a family care provider or in-home care provider. Um, we also look at um, camps in the summer for children or People will often refer to it as babysitting, which it certainly, at, at times, that is the kind of care that you need. But in a system where you need your children cared for while you're going to work, you certainly are looking for those quality resources and avenues to get support for your children's needs. Uh, you you mentioned family care and uh, and how that plays a role in what you're talking about because there are a lot of providers out there who maybe don't have a center it's it's in their home uh, how is that tied into this partnership? It's an extremely important piece of the child care picture. And it's been challenging because in Wisconsin, in the 10 years prior to COVID, in-home child care providers actually dropped by 61%. You know, there are a lot of different reasons that are coming into it, but certainly what the providers were able to earn, I think the average pay, if I'm not mistaken, is right around 7 to $8 for family care. And certainly, you know, the costs, you know, again, when we remember we were talking about the numbers game, that you need 140 kids in order to make these platforms work. Um, it is also the area that I think has the most potential. If we can work with family care providers um, and really learn what their needs are and how can we best address their growth and their their need to build strong, independent businesses, because in honesty, that is what they are. They are a small business. So what are the supports that are needed in order to support these family care providers? And we also recognize is that there are pieces to within that space that we need to explore further. Um, we will many times hear families' needs that they're looking for culturally responsive or language needs that a family might be exploring. Another example I can give you is, say, a family may have needs for care at that in that second or third shift. They they will prime usually look for care that is closest to their home, mm -hmm. and then oftentimes looking for that home care rather than and there isn't necessarily care in, in a center care right. So the more we can strengthen and build that family care, that is a a very important piece of this picture again. So it's. It's multiple areas of, of care that we need to be looking to support and yeah. build. 
Well, you mentioned something earlier I think is really interesting, the narrative shift around um, child care, the importance of early childhood, um, and who who should be caring about it or whose responsibility is it? Is it the family or is it our communities? And um, so in that spirit, you know, if we have listeners that are um, concerned about child care access and affordability and the way it affects their community or affects their um, workforce, how can they get involved? What could an individual do? First and foremost, I would say work to educate yourself or learn more about it. I think part of the narrative would be recognizing how critical it is for that early childhood development. 90% of a child's brain development happens by the age of five. So it is, you know, certainly to read as much as you can or listen and really understand more about what those dynamics are. Um, our alliance, we have a newsletter. We'd love to have people sign up and get our, our newsletter. Um, we use that as our main communication tool and are always looking to expand and share share the information as well as encourage people to join us. Yeah, we actually are going to be posting uh, a link to your newsletter so people can sign up for all of your updates. And I know you've got more um, opportunities for parents, for people in different uh, nonprofit entities, for businesses. And that's so exciting, Suzanne. So thank you so much. We're we're actually uh, very excited to help you uh, share this news. Excellent. We do have two more strategies or two more action teams that we will be developing down the road. We're just working to actually launch this first one. So lots of places that we can use the help and we are happy to engage anyone who would like to join us. Before we close, some good news for nonprofits in our area. Last year, Outagamie County's Board of Supervisors voted to invest $2.75 million from the American Rescue Plan Act in child care and early childhood development. This will support two new grant programs for child care and early learning providers, which will ultimately increase workforce wages and build financial capacity. That is exciting news. We're going to have a link in our show notes today for nonprofits who want to apply for those grants. And I'm also going to share a link to a recent article in the Green Bay Press-Gazette titled, Should Wisconsin Fund Child Care Like It Does Roads? It's a great read. And it's sponsored by the New News Lab, our partner in supporting local in-depth journalism. You can find all those resources in our show notes for this episode titled Child Care Crisis by going to cffoxvalley.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley region. 